Welcome to another episode of Off the Menu. I'm your host, Vincent Franchini from Tumblr House, here with an irreducible Charles Coulomb. Irreducible? You mean I'm not made up of many elements. I'm just one thing, and you can't break me down any further. Is that what you're saying? That's right. How do you feel about that? I don't believe it. I mean, I may if I if you cut me, will I not bleed? I mean, I'm made of flesh and blood and bone, and I made made up of many elements. Of course, I'm reducible, not irreducible. Who comes up with this stuff? Metaphorically, I think that's deep. Maybe maybe (laughs) meaningless, perhaps, but definitely deep. Uh, Well, I guess you could say that all my views are. Predicated upon all my other views. Okay, <laughs> that's my religion is all my politics. I don't have a, uh, a separate literary sense from a uh, religious sense. You could say that, I guess. Okay, that's good. That's good. Was a coherent body of thought and opinion. You might claim that, I guess, maybe. Coherency Perhaps. is good. Absolutely. Is it real? I've always thought it was overrated. Coherence. I mean, nobody in charge. Seems to need it. I don't see why I should. Well, a double standard, if you will. Exactly. A double standard. I've got to be coherent. I've got to pretend to make sense. But everybody that runs me in church and state can do whatever they want and say whatever they please, no matter how ridiculous or self-contradictory. Why don't I have that privilege? Because you don't have the power. Get some power. You can be in, as incoherent as you like. It's that simple. I'll go with that. (laughs) All right. I stand corrected. All right. All right. Uh, Coherence is is the, uh, what is it? Coherence is the punishment of the enslaved. (laughs) Incoherence is is the prerogative of the ruler. (laughs) Ah, so you're looking great, Charles. I think everyone's happy to see uh, you're pretty chipper. Uh, what's going I'm on with you? I'm feeling much better. Yeah, not a hundred percent, not a hundred percent, but I am feeling much better. And of course, um, in real time, uh, this is uh, Saturday, the fourteenth, the fifty-sixth anniversary of the Human Being in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, which was itself the prelude to the Summer of Love in 1967. When my generation struck a, a blow for uh, uh, the uh, uh, something, something, wrong. yeah, definitely something, definitely other, and it was uh, well. I mean, that was the name of a counterculture periodical at the time, the East Village Other. Okay. No, the counterculture. You know, the age of Aquarius. The hippie era. So, did the counterculture win? Yes. Did it, it though? Did. I feel like it, it kind of. Um, let's put it this way: gender fluidity, abortion, euthanasia. Let's say the leadership that pushed all this garbage through was, in a real sense, formed by the counterculture. Unfortunately, the better parts of the counterculture were dropped. All you I, got left with was the dra- with the dregs. Yeah, I think that's what I was thinking of. Um, yeah, 
So all, all I mean, in all the places that mattered, I guess the morals, I guess the counterculture that, won. That yeah, that that's where they won. But in terms of the creativity, the colorfulness, the amusement value, that all got left behind. Sad. Yeah, I would say. But that's not all to the, to meditate upon. Because at the time of the counterculture, you had the civil rights movement. And people are going to be watching this program on a federal holiday. Martin Luther King Day. And some few lucky people who dwell in southern states will be watching it on a very cross-cultural holiday because uh, King was born, I think, on the 16th of January and or the 17th, and uh, Robert E. Lee was born on the 19th. So in a number of states and other jurisdictions, Martin Luther King and Robert E. Lee are commemorated together on the same day, King Lee Day. I know there's some ignorant people out there who say, who's this King Lee? I ain't celebrating the birthday of some foreign monarch. Well, calm down, Pinocchio. It's Martin Luther King, Robert E. Lee, King Lee Day. Is that what it's really referred to as? In some places, yeah. Yep. Sure is. What places? Alabama. Con- Confederate strongholds? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, what do you expect? <laughs> Freedom isn't free. You got to pay the price. You got to sacrifice for your liberty. Go on. That's as far as I know the song. <laughs> Freedom isn't free. Freedom isn't free. You got to pay the price. You got to sacrifice for your liberty. Not only that, but today, in, in addition to being the anniversary of the human being, it is also a federal holiday. Well, not a holiday, but a national day. Today, the 14th of January is, are you ready? Can you dig it? It is ratification day. January 14, 1784, the Continental Congress ratified the treaty between the United States and Great Britain, ending our first civil war. Yeah, how come? Yeah, you know, how come only now have you let it be known that today is ratification day? You've never talked about ratification day before. Why were you? Why were you hiding it all these years? I've been hiding it all these years because I had to wait until I thought you were old enough to take this. <laughs> you know, I've watched you very carefully growing up, and now that you're married and you know you're you're a prominent businessman in the local community, I just thought you were ready to deal with this. And I think now you're you're I mean the very fact that you haven't dissolved into tears, for instance, is a good indication that I was right. Well, thank you for that consideration, Charles. I really appreciate that. I have every confidence in your maturity and your ability to deal with this kind of topic. I really do. Excellent. Okay, thank you. I'm here to help. So um, I, I guess the big question is, what have you done for Ratification Day? I'm glad you asked that question. 
I sang a patriotic song from the revolution. What song? It's, well, it goes to the tune of Hearts of Oak. It goes, our worshipful fathers will give them a cheer who to regions unknown did courageously steer. Loyal our fathers and loyal are we. Our muskets are ready. Steady, boys, steady. For King George we will conquer again and again. The noise of rebellion has gone through the land. But come, loyal brethren, we'll stand hand in hand. Loyal our fathers and loyal are we. Our muskets are ready. Steady, boys, steady. For King George, we will conquer again and again. Mm, nice. Speaking of which, it's also Benedict Arnold's birthday. Oh. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Well, and you're... You. <laughs> you're... <laughs> all the... Um... All the favorite characters of the United States are are around today. It seems Benedict Arnold, Robert Lee, or is, there, is, there, King, is there anyone the else? Counterculture. Well, the counterculture. Martin Luther King, the counterculture. Robert E. Lee, Benedict Arnold. They're all together as they should be in the American pantheon of uh, Americana. And and there's more to it than that because I have. I don't know if you've seen it, but. I have seen in London a stained glass window in St. Saint, uh, Saint, uh, Mary's Church, Battersea, a stained glass window of Benedict Arnold. I have indeed. And now I'm going to send it to you just so you can see it. You know, there are some things you really do need to see. And that, you know, this, it, it, yeah, a hero of two nations, it says. Well, it was a hero. I mean, if you think about it, he was the victor of Saratoga. Uh, he was, he saved the American army when they were smashed by the British and French Canadians in Quebec. He managed to get them out in one piece. And believe me, it's one thing to lead uh, lead armies. There you go. You've got it. It's one thing to lead armies in the field victoriously. Uh, it's another to pull them out from rack and ruin without being wiped out. And he managed to do that. And he did so going in the winter down the old Conqueror's Road from uh, Montreal to Albany. So there he is in all his glory, as you will see him at St. Mary's Battersea, as I've seen him. Oh, right. So I think that this year, this kingly day, we should celebrate and, and renew our national conversation with the memories of Benedict Arnold, Robert E. Lee, Martin Luther King, and the counterculture. Hmm. Not to compare and contrast, not to condemn or to applaud but to expand the conversation. What about General, um, the great General William Howe? 
You mean the real traitor of the world? <laughs> 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 yeah, less said about him, the better. I think America owes General Howe a debt of gratitude. They owe him something right. <laughs> for throwing the thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. He did throw the war, so you know that, that's he. He probably should get a a, a statue somewhere. <laughs> he didn't own slaves, so I mean, he could he could still be seen as a hero. Um, but see, one thing that you find with us Americans, we have many, 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 many virtues which we're happy to tell the world about, but the one we lack is gratitude. That we don't have, and the fact that Sir William Howe, through the war, expressly to destroy uh, George III's attempts to reform the British Constitution. Well, that doesn't get, deserve some sort of uh, accolade for the United States. Then what good are mother, uh, the apple, apple pie and the flag and Chevrolet? Well said. They go together in the good old USA. Baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. All right. See the USA in your Chevrolet. America is waiting for your call. Right. Uh, all right. No memes this week. Um, are oh, you? Oh, so you're going to be a big meme. Was that bad? Spare us, Charles. All right. Um... <laughs> no more punishment. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Little post post Christmas cheer. All right. State of the week. Ah. Uh, Washington. Oh, Washington State. Well, my travels in Washington have been pretty much confined to the western third and to Spokane and the northern tier. But I will tell you what I know, such as it is. First and foremost, we start with Seattle, which despite the best efforts of the morons of 2020, is still a functioning city and not yet a ghost town. Seattle has a lot of interesting things in it. It's got a sort of Chinatown. It's got some beautiful churches. Blessed Sacrament comes to mind. And it's really a uh, really a very neat city when it's not being burned or rioted through. Uh, although, of course, its uh, municipal administration is as brain-dead as Portland's, but, you know, can't have everything, can you? Um, in um, you have the the islands in Puget Sound that have a number of interesting towns in them, so it's it's worth exploring in some detail. Uh, Port Angeles, which is there at the top of Puget Sound, and the the place where you get the um, what do you call it the uh, ferry to Victoria, British Columbia. Lovely little town. I've enjoyed my stays there. You've got the Olympic Rainforest. And that is something, a temperate rainforest. It's its quite amazing. I spent the summer of 1981 um, uh, at Fort Lewis, Washington, which was the only post in the military that I've been to where you wear your fatigue uh, uh, sleeves rolled down because even in the height of summer, it's cool and rainy and lush. So I have to admit I much enjoyed that. Seattle also, incidentally, is renowned as a great coffee city. If you're a fan of Starbucks, that's where it started. So now you know. If you uh, start to head toward Portland, 
in the in Portland, Oregon, in search of ever more stupidity. Or you can, but on the way you come to a town called Toledo, and there is St. Mary's Mission, very old historic Catholic church. It was um, the area was settled by French-speaking Métis of from the Hudson's Bay Company. Um, the Salish Prairie, it was called. No, the Cowlitz Prairie. Salish or Cowlitz, one or the other. Anyway, so St. Mary's is a, is a wonderful old mission church. Vancouver, Washington um, has two things of particular interest. One is Fort Vancouver, was, which was originally the seat of the Hudson's Bay Company in the whole Oregon country, which was Washington, Oregon, Idaho, part of Montana, and the southern half of British Columbia. That was all the Oregon country. And uh, Dr. McLaughlin administered it all from Fort Vancouver. Nearby is St. James Church, St. James Catholic Church, which was St. James Cathedral and was the um, it was the headquarters of um, the former diocese of the Oregon country. One other place to see in Washington is, of course, Spokane, which is in the northeastern corner of the state toward Idaho. Uh, there is both Catholic and Episcopal cathedrals that are worth seeing in Spokane. And, of course, one of the local jokes is that Spokane is, in fact, the biggest city in northern Idaho. While we're thinking of the uh, excitements and amusements of the hot, hot summer of burning love in 2020, I'm reminded of the group of rioters and looters and burners and, and other uh, scumbags and riffraff that uh, got on a bus in Spokane and took it to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, for the purpose of looting and, burn and pillaging and burning there. Unfortunately, they'd come to the wrong town. When they got off the bus, they were surrounded by locals with guns who uh, cordially offered to blow their little brains out if they didn't get back on their little bus and go back to Spokane. And I think there's a lesson there for all of us. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. But all in all, uh, Washington, uh, despite the unpleasantness of 2020, is one of my favorite states and a place I've always enjoyed visiting, and I hope to do so again. Yeah. Oh, I completely forgot. Ha ha. Yakima. Yakima, Washington, is a cathedral city. The cathedral was pretty wrecked the last time I went there, but it's worth pointing out. But what I'd really be failing miserably is if I didn't mention the glorious municipality of Moxie. Now, I know what you're thinking. What is there about Moxie that's so important? Answer, it was settled by French Canadians. And when I was there, the one and only time over 30 years ago, the Bishop of Yakima, in which diocese it sits, had given the order that all statues were to be taken out of all the churches. You know, what with him being a moron and stuff. So this did not happen in Moxie, as I found out. I get there, and I was wondering if the French-Canadian identity had survived. First thing I run into is this old fellow dragging a bucket of blood across the street. And I said, Qu'est-ce qu'il passe? What's that? And he said, C'est pour faire le bonheur. It's to make blood, blood sausage. So I was happy to see that, you know, beauty remained. Well, then I went into the parish church, and it was beautiful. All the statues untouched. 
And so I talked to the pastor and I said, you know, your bishop at Yakima has given the order that all these things are to be destroyed. How come that hasn't happened here? And he said, well, I told the bishop that if I tried to, they would slash my uh, tires and then my throat. So he backed down. When French Canadians retain the faith, they tend to be kind of expressive. What Marxie is like now, I have no idea, but that was my impressions of over 30 years ago. Good. We, we like expressive. We, we like Moxie, when people can express themselves. I mean, that's beautiful. Now, Moxie was nowhere near Pepsi. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Um, <laughs> so moving on to the questions. Did, did you see the yawning rabbit hole waiting for you? Uh, what? No. I. Sorry, Charles. You're cutting out. I'm going to go to the first question. Um <laughs> All right, Ryan. You wouldn't do this to Tyrone or Lydia. Ryan, excellent question from Ryan, who says, if Charles had to fight alongside one of the two following men in the Battle of Los Angeles, would he choose Carl Renner or Carl Rahner? Ooh. I'd defect to the Romulans. Death is not an option. Nor are aliens. Well, it's a tough call. I mean, I suppose to the standpoint of survival, Renner would be the better call because, uh, you know, like a cockroach, the man survived everything. (laughs) But the problem is that he'd be quite likely to sell me out for the sake of his own survival. So he's a little problematic. Ronner might not understand the fact that there was a reality involved. Uh, and that, you know, the, the, the laser rays being fired at us by the Romulans could actually hurt. He might, that might not occur to him, given his philosophy of life, until he'd been burned through. So I don't think my chances of survival would be that great with either one of them, frankly. Okay. But I guess it's better to go out literally in a blaze of glory with Carl Renner than to be turned over to the Romulans by Carl Renner. Wow. Final, you're going to go with Ronner over Renner? Over Renner, yeah. Wow. Okay. Woo. Uh, all right. Uh, Ryan, Cockroach politics never appealed to me. All right. So Ryan also asks, um, well, actually, he says, Dear Vinny. Please ask Charles, what is he hiding from us about John Carroll, Georgetown University, and Americanism? I ask, being a student of the nation's oldest Taylorian university. All right, Ryan, will do. Charles, what are you hiding about John Carroll, Georgetown University, and Americanism? None of them were at the Battle of Los Angeles. Well, we knew that. You could well, yeah, see how well I've hidden it? Oh, it wasn't. I, no, it was in plain sight. It's like hiding in plain sight. That's the effective way to do it. Nobody ever accused John Carroll of being at the Battle of Los Angeles or any of the Americanists, and for that matter, Georgetown University. But I am hiding the fact that the nearby uh, Convent of the Visitation has a beautiful painting given to the convent by Charles X of France. So I'm hiding that. 
I'm hiding the fact that I forget the name of their main hall there, but it's very, very beautiful, although it is kind of a shrine to Americanism. And I'm also hiding the fact that where 60 or 70 years ago, there was something like four or five functioning chapels uh, scattered throughout the university that had masses every day. Now there's only the one. So I'm hiding all that. Why would you do that to us? Did you think we weren't emotionally prepared? That we weren't yeah. emotionally mature to be able to handle that? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, Because remember... Well, Georgetown, like the Jesuits themselves, Georgetown is supposed to be one of the premier uh, Catholic institutions in, in the country. I, I'm hiding the fact that at Biden's inauguration, the Jesuit who permitted uh, abortion research uh, uh, at Georgetown in the labs while he was president of Georgetown, um, you know, he was the one that gave the uh, the invocation at uh, Biden's inauguration. I'm hiding that. And I'm hiding one other thing. That I went to Holy Trinity, Georgetown, for Mass, where JFK used to go, and a lot of the more liberal Georgetown is due to this day. Um, and, well, when the Mass was over, I talked briefly to somebody who said, you've got a great voice if you considered lecturing here permanently. I said, no, I haven't. I don't live here. I will, however, for the sake of you living in Georgetown, I will recommend four places. One, the tombs, where I've had many a pleasant hour. Two, Martin's Tavern. Three, my own club, the City Tavern. And lastly, but not leastly, Georgetown Cigars. It's a great place you can go, light up, and smoke your cigar in perfect peace and harmony. I like Georgetown. It's actually my favorite part of the capital. Hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. The steps are there that you'll remember from the movie. Excuse me? What movie? The Exorcist. It's set in Georgetown. Did you reference The Exorcist before you said the movie? So you just said the movie, and then and then I'm supposed to know automatically that it's The Exorcist? In Georgetown, they do. This isn't for you. This is for Ryan and any of his pals who are listening. <laughs> so in Georgetown, when you say the movie, everyone else it's in Georgetown knows uh, Exorcist. God. Yeah. Wow. No, when you mention the Georgetown steps, yeah. And when you mention the tombs, they know it's a bunch of uh, drunken Georgetown students drinking heavily. All right. Are you embarrassed by that? No, I don't. I care not for Georgetown or its what? reputation. Be true to your school. It's not Just my like school. you would to your girl. Be true to your school now. <laughs> rah, rah, sis, boom, bah. Be true to your school. Do I have to get into a Beach Boys mood? To make you loyal to the old alma mater. That's not my alma mater. It's not mine either. What's your point? You, why do you seem so flustered? One of these days, you're going to give sass to the wrong person, and you're going to sass. You're going to get it. You're going to you're going to get what's been coming to you. What do you mean with sass? interest? Yeah. There. It's already happened. Why do you think I was so sick for those weeks? I'm recovering. <laughs> you should be grateful because this shows that I'm getting healthier. 
See? Well, that, okay, that's fair. It makes for a good show. I, I'll give you that, 100%. Okay. I mean, could you imagine if I were the kind of respectable weenie that passes these days, we'd, be, we'd have nothing to show our audience. You know, just be like, what is the next question, please? <laughs> wow. That's I serve the master cylinder. Who could listen to that? Who would want to? You wouldn't. I wouldn't. You'd be surprised how many people do. All right. I'm Who sure did... that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have you been to Weedy Central sometime re- recently? You know you want to go by Weenie Central. Charles, I live in Weenie Central. Actually, that's true. L.A. really is Weenie Central. It's in the L.A. area. The L.A. You know, area. Despite Officer Clancy's, Chief Clancy's best efforts. Ah, move along, you little weenies. Whap! <laughs> you, do, you don't want to make weenie noises, Chief Clancy. He doesn't, he doesn't respond well. One of these... Oh, officer, it's just terrible. Bam. You're right. It was. Now get up. What's wrong with the man? Carry him away. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't do weenie well. Neither does Tyrone. Nobody in the entire Tumblr House Tower do well with weenies. Yeah. Do you feel like you've somehow betrayed them by visiting Weenie Central? No, I don't. What is permissible to an ox, uh, to Jove, is not permissible <laughs> to an ox. I get it. No, that's fine. That's fine. Look at it. Just awful. All right. All right. We're going to move on. Uh, okay. <laughs> that was pretty peremptory. That's not very weenie like, you know, moving on, just just riding over me like like I'm I'm a prairie and you're a horse. What's wrong with that? It's not very weenie like. Oh, yeah. A weenie would say, Oh no, oh you you stab it, you trample the grass. Oh. <laughs> All right, um, you know, weenies believe that buffalo deserved what they got for the Indians because they ate all that grass. The Indians? No, the buffalo ate the grass and therefore deserved to be killed by the Indians. Oh, 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 oh okay. Because oh, wow. the, the buffalo were interfering with the natural life cycle of the plants they ate. I thought it was the white man that, that got rid of the buffalo and exiled them to Catalina Island. Them too. Hmm. Okay. Have you, have you? Did you ever eat buffalo tongue? I have. What's that like? Very much like beef tongue, only spicier. The way I ate it. Where'd you eat it? Where, where, where can I get some buffalo tongue? I ate it on the res in South Dakota. Wow. Reservation. I got that one. You know why the Indians are here first? 
I don't know why they had reservations. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh man! You had a problem with that? I hope YouTube doesn't have some strange problem with that. Um, Me too. Although I am reminded of the time that my parents and I went out to eat, and the very snooty head waiter said, "Do you have reservations?" And my mother said, yes, severe ones, but we came anyway. (laughs) That's so your mom. Well, that's true. She didn't take crap. (laughs) Severe reservations. All right. All right, let's move along. Enough of this Native American falderal you're you're trapping us in. I don't even know why you brought up the buffalo. I'm sorry. I know it's a sensitive topic for you, Charles. All right. It is. Think of the white buffalo. That was my tribal name. What did you say? White buffalo. That was my tribal name. <laughs> I, I'm just blown away. I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> 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 well, it was originally white elephant, but... <laughs> They thought Buffalo was more more Native American. White Buffalo. So that's your name. My tribal name, yes. Your tribal name. Yeah. What if that's gonna make it to your Wikipedia? All right. I don't know. You know you know my tribe. What's your tribe? The Alamani Indians. Right. From your uh, high school? Uh-huh. That's right. Because they had to change the name. Now they're the, the weenies or something. I forget. Yeah. All right. Um, it's like the Washington Redskins behind me. Shout yeah. out to Ryan, too. That's a Washington Redskins thing there, Ryan. Gosh. You know, I don't know what our Arcadia High School must have had to change, too, because we're the Arcadia Apaches. Um, yeah, now they're the Arcadia Mandarins. Yeah, I'm sure. You don't want to comment on that one, uh, do you? I'm sure. No, I know. Uh, <laughs> I, I know what's going on. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. Hello, uh, Cal says, hello, Vincent Charles, and a joyous advent to you both. Uh, sorry, this is a little late, uh, Cal, uh, that which I'm asking this question. But thank you all the same. Uh, as I have been researching Eastern Orthodoxy as of late, the controversy over the filioque inevitably came up in my research. Regardless of whether the filioque is theologically correct, why is it that the land church added the filioque to the Nicene Creed in the first place, given the opposition that the Eastern churches had to the change? Wouldn't it have been far easier to keep the creed as it was with a common understanding of the joint spiration of the Holy Ghost? I feel as though I am missing some historical context here. God bless you both. Wow, great question. It is. And, of course, the reason, as you might have guessed, is that there were heretical issues in the West that had to be addressed. And they figured the best way to address them was to add for the okay, to make clear the uh, spiration of the Spirit from both the Father and the Son. So there was a heresy going on in the West that was specifically well, yeah, had to be addressed exactly like that. 
Okay. And the thing to remember, too, is the subtleties of Greek and Latin are such that they just didn't translate well. When Filioque translated into Greek, if I remember correctly, has kind of a weird, comes out kind of strange. From Latin to Greek? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, what, do, do you know the name of the, the Western heresy? I don't remember. Hmm. Okay. All right. A question from Brian, who says, Dear Charles, what do you think about the recent German coup attempt to install Prince Heinrich Thirteenth? Oh, the very fabric of German democracy shuttered. 25 elderly people plotted to overthrow the German Republic. They gathered two rifles, well, a rifle and a pistol, and 400,000 euros and some gold. And with that, they were going to overthrow the very fabric of German democracy. In the immortal words of the German chancellor, this was as great a threat to German democracy, to the German government, as the January 6th insurrection was to the United States. And I agree with him. I think it was just as great a threat. And I believe that both of these horrendous events should be commemorated by an eternal flame in front of the Reichstag to remind us both of these two attempted coups and the Reichstag fire of 1933, with which I, I think they're very closely connected. Wow. Um. Stupid, stupid, stupid politicians yapping with big mouths. So... Can you go into detail on the event? How about let's start there? Uh, sure, I can. Yeah. Uh, I can. Last month, the month before, uh, what passes for German intelligence uh, found that these people had this plot going. Now, mind you, they're all, they were all elderly. They were various retirees. They had stockpiled weapons, one rifle, one pistol. They plotted among themselves to pull off a coup against the German government. And they had $400,000 or euros, and they had some gold. And with this, they were going to overturn Germany's regime. Now, you might say, if you've got half a brain, that's nonsense. Sounds like a bunch of elderly LARPers playing at being revolutionized. But if you're really stupid, you'd think, ah, yes, yes, it was going to happen. 25 plotters. Weenie Central sent out the word. It was just insanity. I feel, I, I feel like we need to do the same thing, but for weenies. Like, commemorate when they do something stupid and then, like, use dramatic language yep. to, re to commemorate their stupidity. Well, as I say, I think that, you know, as, I, as he said, it was as great a threat to Germany as the January 6th uh, mostly peaceful, uh, sorry, insurrection 
in uh, I always get confused between the hot, hot summer of burning love and the scores of people who died and the thousands of buildings that were torched. I always get confused between that and the horrible insurrection in the Capitol um, on the uh, on January sixth. Um, and Nancy Pelosi going hysterical, of course. But um, as I say, the Reichstag fire is what comes to mind. For those of you who don't remember, after the uh, Nazis secured power, uh, they um, used an attempted burning of the Reichstag by a kind of crazy Dutch communist to uh, suppress civil rights. And since the German government's parliament is the Reichstag, I think an eternal flame to commemorate the insurrection on January 6th and the Royce coup should be there to always remind us of governments and their need. Wow. That's pretty impressive. So you actually did an accurate um, and relevant metaphor comparing the to the Nazis. No. To the Reichstag fire. That was supposed to be the work of a communist. I am not going to say that the government was wrong in any of these three cases. We have Nancy Pelosi herself, who when she came out during the Republicans uh, voting over and over and over again to try to get a speaker, she said, well, thank heaven uh, they were, these people weren't in charge on January 6th. She was very upset. She had a computer stolen from her office. I'll bet you never had your computer stolen from your office by an angry uh, mob of buffalo hat wearing people. No. Did you ever have a seat that was sacred to you sat upon by a QAnon shaman? No. No, you, you haven't. In the immortal words of President Barack Obama, on that day, the Capitol was desecrated. Is this where you're going to go into your bordello metaphor now? What? You mean my, my, my claim that while you can burn, you can loot a bordello, you can burn it to the ground, but you can't desecrate a bordello? You think I'm going to liken that to the capital of the United, the capital of the United States of America, where people on the take from all over the country are elected and allowed to wreak havoc with reality? You think I'm going to make that kind of a simile? Well, you're dead wrong. Let me tell you something, Buster. You may go into the capital. You may be elected to the capital. You may not be a millionaire when you go in, but you will be when you come out. We have the best government money can buy. You don't need to tell me that. Well, see? And it's true in Germany, too. It was true in the Reichstag in 1933. It's true in the Reichstag in 2023. Whole 90 years. Boy, another year, 10 more years, you can celebrate the centennial of the Reichstag fire. If Nancy Pelosi is still alive and the German Chancellor is still alive, they can light the eternal flame together. Hmm. All right. Um, uh, Tampa Tobacconist has a question. He says, 
Why doesn't the church recognize a male category of virgins for canonizations? Why can men become canons, but not virgins? I suspect it has to do with the Blessed Mother as the prototype of virgins, but with Charles's histor- uh, but I would value Charles's historical insights. Well, what you say is true, but don't forget that uh, the Holy Innocents, for instance, have always been referred to by the church as virgins. They were men. Uh, and in the, um, in the Apocalypse, St. John writes, chapter 14, this is the epistle in the traditional calendar. This is the epistle for all the innocents. Uh, it says, they're described, these are they who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They, these follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were purchased from among men, the first fruits to God and to the lamb. And in their mouth there was found no life. They were without spot before the throne of God. So it's not as though male virginity was not held up as a, a thing. But in terms of a separate category, uh, there are a couple of problems. One of them being that it's easier. Female virginity is easier to detect than male. And men never get pregnant beside. Okay. Could Charles please share any insights he has into the transalpine redemptress and the purgatorian arch-confraternity which they run? Sure. Uh, They were an attempt, uh, and remain a very good attempt, to regain the spirit of St. Alphonsus Liguri uh, for the redemptress, which they felt, and not without reason, had kind of lapsed since Vatican II. Uh, Initially, they were founded uh, with support of and in concert with the SSPX. And they're out on an island in the Orkneys. Uh, The Purgatorial Society they have, uh, once upon a time, was very, very much what the Redemptorists did. They sponsored Purgatorial Societies all across the country, uh, all across the world, where the Redemptorists were Purgatorial Societies. But after Vatican II, this wasn't considered important, and so a lot of them lapsed. Um, But in their attempt to regain the original redemptorist uh, charism, they did the Purgatorial Society. When uh, Benedict lifted the excommunications against the bishops of the SSPX, and sort of put out the hand of friendship, as it were, they accepted it. And that led to a break between them and the SSPX. So a lot of uh, SSPX people are, don't look very kindly to them. But I know them. They're pretty uh, pretty solid people, pretty sound, and uh, they do a great work. Okay. What does Charles think of the Three Stooges? The ones well, from TV, not politics or the church. Oh, great. Just rip the thought out of my head. Nice. Well, I think that they, um, they are probably smarter than most people in charge anywhere today. <laughs> I think, think you can outfox, outfox me on that one, smart guy. <laughs> no, uh, 
They're very funny. Slapstick. What's not to like? Uh, do you have a favorite episode or a favorite stooge? Mo. Really? That's surprising. I always, I personally like Curly, and I always felt like everyone loves, because he's got uh, sort of the iconic antics to me. Uh, you know? Curly and Shep both. Yeah. But, but, Mo, I think, is the, Mo most clearly symbolizes leadership today in the world. I thought of Mo a lot during the lockdowns. Because yeah, he's the smartest of the Stooges. And he's the yeah. leader, right? Like, but. Exactly. And so I, I thought of Mo a lot during the lockdown. I thought, boy, I, I could see where this is the way Mo would run the show. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, when Tradiciones Custodes was, uh, came out and I read it, I thought, gee, I wonder if Mo wrote this. Or if this is the kind of thing Mo would have written had he been in that position. You said the Latin name. What? You you said the Latin name. You you you've never done that before. You, oh, trash can custodians. Yeah, yeah. Ah, I, yeah. I, I want to keep you consistent here. I don't. Consistency is the bugbear of little minds. That's not me. That's Samuel Johnson. Don't argue with me about it. That, that that doesn't make any sense. I'm pretty sure that does. I I had to think about it for a little bit, but that all, that doesn't make any sense. Oh really? Yeah. All right. What's two plus three? Five. All right. What's five and twelve? Seventeen. What's seventeen and zebra? Well, is this a test of consistency? I mean, what what are we doing here? Uh, I don't know. Let Who me doing anything? Let, let me call in Salvador would, Dali to answer that math question. I don't know. I, I would say it's Zebra 17, but never mind. Which could have been the title of a painting by Salvatore Dali. <laughs> Zebra 17. <laughs> you know, my Aunt Jenny knew Dali. Cool. Yeah, my mother's sister, the one that owned the art gallery. And uh, he was very impressed with her because she he, she pronounced his name properly. Okay. Dali. Yeah. That's where the accent is on the eye. Yeah. But everybody calls him Dali. Salvador Dali. It's Salvador Dali. Okay. Salvador Dali. All That's right. right. And that was how he knew the, that Barbara Streisand wasn't calling his name when she's saying, hello, Dali. Okay. You know what I saw once at the Duda Parade in Pasadena? No. The Hello Dalai Lamas. I I don't get paid enough to do this. You know that that would help you a lot is to attend the Duda Parade. Excuse me. It would help you a lot to attend the Duda Parade. Yeah. Why? It loosened you up mentally a little bit. You know? Loosen me up. Yeah, you know, open the windows. The windows of your mind. <laughs> I think you need to shut your windows. Everything is blowing out right now. Oh, do you hear yourself? <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever been to the Dune Parade? No. See? 
you don't know. <laughs> you need to go, what is the next dude operate? That's an <laughs> interesting question. Let me see. What is the next? Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know the dude operate, it is one of, uh, one of, um, uh, the passenger do a do not parade. Oh, it's already happened. November 20th, 2022. Well, there's a loss for you. That's too bad. It's actually kind of a, a satire of the Rose parade, believe it or not. Hmm. Uh, does it go down, uh, the same street? Yeah, it it there was a doodah happening. What about the doodah parade is uh, usually in the fall and winter. When was uh official doodah parade? Yeah, it goes down Colorado Boulevard. Uh Wow, that's a big oh, deal then. It is, but you know what? Um Oh, it will be returning in 2023. Oh, they they had kind of a gathering to prepare for I got it uh oh is it the old town pub well that's great how, how do you how do you so how do you spell this so people can look this up if they're interested it's d-o-o-d-a-h duda okay and it is sort of uh it's a very very local uh Pasadena thing it's a satire of the rose parade actually all right but we'll see if you're a Pasadenan, you're used to literally thousands of outsiders descending upon your fair city for the Rose Parade every year and getting drunk and, you know, doing various things and making life difficult. So once a year, Pasadena rewards itself with a strictly local collection of weirdos, uh, sorry, of alternative types. And that is the dude operate. Hmm. And they once had the Hello Dalai Lamas were a group of, of, performing people in the Duda parade in these saffron robes, all of them with Dalai Lama masks on. Amazing. Okay. My <laughs> you seem very unimpressed. Don't try to interpret my tone. Um all right. Uh, Michael says, Dear Vinny and Charles, a happy Christmas and New Year to you both. This Christmas Christmas was a tough one with several deals among family and friends. A car accident for me and a breakup with my girlfriend. I have a couple questions regarding prayer to help me through this. Um, Our issues were not serious in terms of addictions or cheating. I think we exhausted each other through miscommunication. I'm not ready to Mm. give up, but I have to give it time. I'm planning to reach out on St. Valentine's Day, which would be two months since the breakup. I have begun a few novenas with more planned. In the interim, from now until then, I understand that novenas aren't some secret code to changing God's will, but I'm curious as to why so many faithful have put good stock in them to help during tribulations. Also, how can one cultivate a love for Mary that is akin to love for one's biological mother? God bless you both, and please pray uh, that we heal and reconcile. Well, let's say an Ave Maria for that, shall we? Okay. We partis et filiit spiritus sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu, in mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventus tu, Iesus. Santa Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora moris nostrae. Amen.
and father and son and Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, uh, novenas are popular because they work. <laughs> you know, it's not a cosmic cash machine, to be sure. But they work. And that's why they've maintained their popularity for centuries. Um, and if they don't work, if, i.e., if you don't get what you pray for, it's probably because you shouldn't have had it in the first place. But they're very, very popular and worth exploring. Now, as to how you can model your uh, love of the Virgin Mary after the love of your mother, well, it's a, both a simple and a complex question all at the same time. It's complex because she is our mother. She's also our queen. She's also a lot of other things to us. The co-redemptrix, the mediatrix of all graces and so forth. But the love that your mother has for you, which is so deep and so particular and so personal. You know, every mother loves their children. Usually, anyway, I've got to choose my words. We live in a, a different era. But traditionally, mothers have loved their children more than life itself. And that was how Our Lady was with her divine son. And that is how she is with all of us sons and daughters by adoption. So think of the most intense love your mother has ever had for you and multiply it infinitely. Because, of course, one thing about your own mother is that, like yourself, she's a sinful person, a fallen being. And very little of our love is entirely unselfish, although maternal love is probably the most that you'll find, the most unselfish, but it's still, it's human, and so it has, you know, the, the old joke about smother love. <laughs> you know, it, 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 there's not a trace of that in Our Lady's regard of you. She loves you in an infinitely perfect manner because she's entirely without sin. You know, for me, um, I feel like virtuous women in general, particularly mothers, if you have a good mom, um, you know, make the virgin help you un understand the Virgin Mary more, right? Because it's more real. Like there's, like for me, there's instances where there's a very uh, particular aspect that you hone in on and that helps you uh, understand the Virgin Mary more. Um, and conversely, um, I feel like pr pr virtuous men perhaps would help um, women understand Jesus more. Right, because that's we're we're called to be um, more like these people. Um, so I don't. That's that's how um, I look at it, and 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 that's also fostered by love too. Like you recognize that when you have a love for a person, you know, you see these good things, you recognize them. As compared to modern society, where we're we're always trying to see the worst in people. Um, you know, if a person is 99% good and 1% bad decision, we harp on that 1%. Well, that's not born out of love, right? Um, 
So you 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 don't hold with the the, the saying that Twitter is love. No, I don't hold the, to that saying. Uh, Twitter is not the shining Catholic Twitter is not that shining city on a hill. <laughs> uh, I'd like to see that in the center of somebody's wall. No, it's, no, it's it's all good. But no, it, it is true. And of course, similarly, the Holy Family, uh, Saint Joseph, Our Lady, and Our Lord, is the ultimate. I mean, how do you understand how families should be? Look at the Holy Family. You know, we're still very much in Christmas time right now. And our nativity set should still be up until Candlemas. And this should give us something to reflect on. In St. Joseph and Our Lady and the Infant Jesus, you see a model for the domestic church, so to speak. Yeah. All right. So good luck to you, Michael. Uh, Final question. Last but not least is from Andrew from New Jersey. Oh, no. Okay. No, no. Don't don't even tell me the question. I'll answer it. Are you ready? Great. Pine Barrens. What? Pine Barrens. Yeah. What's Pine Barrens? I don't get it. Is Not what, say, but where? Yeah, some some stupid New Jersey aspect where New Jersey people make it a big deal, but really in the grand scheme of things, it's not a big deal. One of okay, those firstly, things. Firstly, there's nothing minor about New Jersey. <laughs> Everything's deadly important. <laughs> Secondly, the Pine Barrens are in southern Jersey, and they are this sort of wilderness area uh, inhabited by people of varied backgrounds. Um, not the most intellectually focused necessarily, the pineys as they call them. And, uh, it's also the location of Fort Dix, New Jersey. Which is notable. Why? It's in the Pine Barrens. Okay. The Pine Barrens are important because of the location of Fort Dix. Do you guys know why Fort Dix is important? No. All right. Um, (laughs) So Andrew from New Jersey says, Hello, gentlemen, and greetings from the home of the only place in America with a double hyphenated name, Ho-Ho-Cus. Ho-Ho-Cus. The great state... Ho-Ho-Cus. Okay, whatever. Whatever. Um, The great... Two, two hoes of course. Gentlemen, I am a Catholic who lives in the suburbs. Some might even call me a suburban Catholic. Ooh, the burbs. My question is, what exactly are suburbs? When did they come to be and why? What was there before the suburbs? I've heard it said that suburbs did not begin to appear until the 1950s, yet American suburbs claim history that goes back to the 19th and 18th centuries. So how can this be? Are there suburbs in other countries? How similar are they to American suburbs? P.S. First. The burbs. All right, well, to answer your question, the burbs (laughs) actually go back further than the 50s. 
they go back to the 19th century and the invention of light rail. You see, once upon a time, you lived in a city, which were generally small and compact, or you lived in the country. And if you lived and worked in the city, then because your only way of getting around was either by, car, by foot or by horse, you were limited as to how far out you could, you could be. But in all the major cities of Europe and America, uh, the invention of light rail, trolleys and things like that, allowed people with money anyway to live further and further out. And that, that's why in most major cities, you've got inner and outer suburbs. Now, one of the interesting differences between Europe and America is that in Europe, it was the working classes that moved out to the suburbs. And these eventually, and the, and the poorer people. So eventually you had a setup where the cities themselves, the inner cities, were very well-to-do with people with money. But the further out you went, the poorer they were. In America, it was the reverse. Our wealthier moved further and further out as first the railway and then the automobile kicked in. And of course, with the automobile, you could go further and further out. Now, to answer your question, while these places as suburbs are relatively recent, many of them existed before as small rural villages. And then what happened? Let's, like, let's say you've got someplace, I don't know, Frankini's Creek. Now, the little village of Frankini's Creek, uh, say, is 13 miles away from Newark. So before they brought in the railroad, Frankini's Creek was a uh, was a farm town, a little village with, you know, a, a blacksmith and a, maybe a general store, a post office, etc., and farms around it. And that was all there was to Frankini's Creek. But then light rail came out and people started moving in like six miles away. And when the automobile finally came, they could build apartments and so forth, houses and then apartments in Frankini's Creek until it became a bedroom community for the big city it's near. So today, they'll proudly show you the remaining colonial homes there and the old, the two or three old churches and the public building founded by uh, Giuseppe Frankini in 1738. But it's a burb. It's a suburb. And you've got a lot of tract housing, uh, strip malls, you know, all the other stuff you associate with the, um, with the, uh, with suburban life and with the automobile. Now, if you live in such a place and many, many, many of us do, my advice is always uncover the old town, look for the old buildings, the old churches, the local historical museum, find those things, because they're usually quite interesting. Uh, and what happens in a lot of these places over time, if the central part of town developed before it became a suburb, kind of like Monrovia, uh, then you'll usually have like an historic district or something in the center. And you know how it is at Old Town Monrovia. You could be a million miles away from LA, but the minute you set foot outside of that district, there's very little 
individuality in Monrovia, if you see what I mean. Yeah, fair. Yeah. But when you're when you're smack dab in the center of Old Town Monrovia, you could be a million miles away from LA. Um, because the old part it's called Old Town for a reason. It it was there before Monrovia became a, a bedroom community and a and a burb. It had an identity of its own at that time. So referencing one of the things you said before, um, so in other countries, the uh, wealthy stayed in the center and the further you got from town, the poorer you got. Why was it reversed? Why was it reversed in the United States? Like what, what phenomena creates that or dictates that? The location of factories. I mean, most of our big cities were built on commerce. And so the factories were built in the, in, in the center of, the, of cities. But in Europe, what was at the center of the cities were cathedrals and things like that. And you can't really build a factory. Oh. So you built the factories further out. And so the workers had to live further out. That makes perfect sense. It's true. I mean, that's why you go to Paris, you go to London, you go to Rome, uh, Vienna. You couldn't build a factory in the middle of those towns. But in America, we did. Think of Pittsburgh. Always throwing poor Pittsburgh under the bus. All right, Cleveland. That's better. All right. <laughs> Cincinnati, Chile. Oh. Although now you'll notice there are several exceptions to this rule. Midwestern cities are like that. Western cities tend to be like that. But not the oldest colonial cities. Not in downtown Boston. Not in lower Manhattan. Not in central Philadelphia. Not in the French Quarter and not of New Orleans, not in South Abroad, Charleston, because they they follow the European pattern, and when they got industry, it was also shoved out to the burbs, and so. Wow. That's why the Upper East Side of Manhattan is great, and Hoboken's a dump. Hmm. What about Hohokus? It's heaven on earth. Paradise. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, now there's several things we've got to remember. Yeah. Which you're trying to, to, co- to brush off or cover up. First, we've got to wish you a very happy King Lee Day and hope that you'll commemorate Benedict Arnold, Robert E. Lee, Martin Luther King, and, of course, the counterculture of the 1960s, in any way that you feel comfortable with. The second thing is the Christmas season is far from over. Let's not forget. It's the 14th now, but we have that Royal Week coming up. The 21st, Louis XVI. The 25th, Robert Burns. The 28th, Charlemagne, 
and the 30th, Charles I of England, Scotland, and Ireland, and also uh, Dame Garanger and Dame Armin. Do we know when the coronation is yet? Yes. We do indeed, and I'll tell you when it is. The coronation, it's in May. Coronation of Charles III is Saturday, 6th of May. Hmm. And you know where I'm going to watch it? I've already got it planned. I've already got my, I've staked out my place. You know where I'm going to watch it? I can't imagine. On television. What were you expecting? That I was going to go to Westminster Abbey with an invitation? I thought there'd be a get-together uh, with friends, a little occasion, you know? Yeah, Nancy Pelosi and me, and Joe Biden. Why would you do that what? to yourself? Why would you do that to yourself? That would not be fun. Why would you do that? To remind myself of why I'd wish to have given a choice to the White House and Westminster Abbey, I'd be in Westminster Abbey on Monday. <laughs> to remind myself of that. No, seriously, uh, it'll be interesting to see how the coronation works out. They've already done some interesting things. There's a, um, a sort of ritual that's done by what were called the Princes of the Blood. But the king has decided that it'll only be done by the Prince of Wales, so as to avoid having either Harry or Andrew around. I heard about that. Good decision. I think so. The... Uh, Although there's no truth to the rumor that Princess Megan will be sold to the highest bidder. <laughs> That's not true. Uh, actually, since you're going to be in California, if anything's left of Montecito after the rain stopped, because I know they, they cut you off. Poor Kevin Costner was, was trapped and said he couldn't pick up his Golden Globe. I feel very badly about yeah. that. Yeah. But if there's still anything left of Montecito by then, have you considered uh, watching the coronation with Harry and Meghan on TV? No, I would not do that. Why but not? That, that's amusing that they would watch it on TV, that those two people. Sure. I, I don't know what, what they're going to do. They're, they're such idiots. You know, the funny thing is, the, the joke here in Europe is uh, William is breaking his silence for the third time today. You mean Harry? Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Harry is breaking his silence for the third time today. <laughs> Once more, breaking the silence. <laughs> you know, I, I had a really a charitable thought. There was that, that what, he's doing the tell-all story or whatever, and yeah. um, well, he's naming it Spare or whatever, and he he, Spare. he, he describes uh, – Vonday Radio actually had dead-on comments about uh, how no heterosexual talks like that. Like the way he described it, I thought that was dead on. Good job, Vonday. Well, it's um, probably well. All it means is his ghostwriter is gay. It, it doesn't <laughs> tell us anything. I, I I would say though. Well, you don't think he could write a book by himself? Come on. Uh, um, but you know, I mean, we'll, the, thing, the thing about the thing about William breaking his necklace. <laughs> I know that was weird, but like that whole the whole thing. It, uh, like I thought. Wow, I like William even more now. Like, good for him. Like, stand. Well, yeah, I, you know, I was waiting. You know, what's next? He broke my high heel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you know I, Harry, uh, don't talk to your brother when you're a drag. That's my <laughs> advice. I'm just saying. 
I think William would probably respond better to you if you were wearing men's clothing. Uh, That's, I, I mean, I just think that. Yeah. No, it. It. The, I. I think part of the problem. Sparrow seems to have blown up in their faces, and I. You know why I think that is? Because it. They're just okay. There's a million reasons, but what are you going to say? <laughs> what I'm going to say is, it's not like they are perceived as having suffered. It's not like they're out on the street starving and their children are, you know, going without clothing. Right. They're sitting there in Montecito. Everything they've got is as a result of their being connected to the royal family. And to somebody who's not, I mean, they no doubt felt that the tons of people, remember anti-royal sentiment is always easy to stir up in America. It doesn't take much. Right. Because we feel guilty about the revolution, and I, I understand it's a deserved feeling of guilt, but, but the problem is, they would have to have been seen to have really suffered, and they just haven't. They lead a privileged life that's far better than the majority of people in the United States. You are not going to get sympathy. I mean. If I, if I stood up before the, the great American public on television uh, and said that my life had been blighted by the fact that my dad wouldn't spring for a couple of polo ponies, I wouldn't get any sympathy at all. Well, I don't know. It's so weird, right? Because they keep doing stuff and they seem oblivious to the fact that everyone hates them. Hate might be a little strong, but it's the more they do, the the more real that hatred becomes. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of saying. Yeah. See, if they were smart, what they would do is shut up and lead dutiful lives, you know, carefully massaged, of course, by the public. I mean, if she were out working at some soup kitchen, you know, they could win the public to their side. Yeah, Maybe. it's if they were doing something that, but all they're doing is sponging off what they are. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, look. Yes, it's true. Americans are easy to incite against the royal family. You bet. Unless of course they actually meet them and then they roll over and want their bellies rubbed. But, but these guys. How do I put it? They come across as purely ungrateful. Well, that was the word I was going to use, right? Like, wow, your life is so miserable. There's so much racism in the royal household. And you're, how much money are you getting for your book again, Harry? <laughs> you know, like. And would you be getting it if you actually came from a, uh, a different family? Yeah. And we're, and we're working for a living. So you know. it, it, it's, but honestly, it's modeled off of our other, our January 6th people. Um, I love this monologue from, um, oh, I can't remember the Australian commentator, but he was such a, uh, Mark Stein, Mark Stein, Mark Stein, where the ruling class portray themselves as the ultimate victims. We sure did. And, and so, the problem with that is that they're not. Yeah. You know. Again, Mutatis Mutandis, thinking of uh, our friends in the counterculture, I'm reminded of the late, great Jim Thomas, whom you may recall, 
mm. as an old friend of mine, a Politico. But he saw the documentary, uh, Berkeley in the 60s. <laughs> and his comment was, the left takes a good, long, hard look at itself and likes what it sees. <laughs> I love that quote. <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, and it's, I mean, self-congratulation never really looks good. Yeah, well, it, you can tell that with some documentary pieces where you know that's what's going to happen, that it's yeah. looking at it, but you know what the result is going to be. Um. As a misunderstood talent, so-and-so rose above the disapproval of people with any sense of taste and proved to the world that he could make more money than anybody else. <laughs> now why that documentary didn't win at can i just don't know <laughs> but it's but it is a problem and i'm afraid that again the revolt of the privileged you know it isn't even so bad and you look at people like the royal family and if you know something, or if you don't know something, you do a little bit of study, you can see those people work bloody hard for everything they've got. They work extremely hard. But you look at someone like Nancy Pelosi, and you're like, what, what are you doing, woman? What do you do with your time? You know, the, there was this stock deal that uh, back in 2008, and she was, um, was speaker then. And she and her husband got some sort of early break on the thing. The inside Precisely. trading? Yeah. Kind of. Okay. Kind of. Uh, and she's asked about it. Uh, and she says, well, that's not, that's not important. That's not true. And the, and the guy's looking at it and says, what? What do you mean it's not true? Of course it's true. You, you know, it was, no, it's not. I, I'm not going to sit here and answer that kind of question. All right, don't. You know, and, and, and she gets a free pass because she's Nancy Pelosi. But while she gets a free pass in the press, I don't think if she wrote her memoirs, they would sell very well. Hmm. I'd be interested to see what the sales figures on Spare are going to be. I don't know. Um... I don't either, but I'm willing to make a wager. And that is that the coronation will outdo anything William does in the ratings. Uh, Harry. Sorry. You keep, yeah. Harry. I keep trying to forget the Sussexes. Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, the coronation will outdo anything Harry does in the, uh, you know, in ratings. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but. You know, they haven't had one of these since 1952. I, I'm and, amped up about it. I'm really excited, actually. Yeah, I am, too. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. And, you know, just uh, just so that everybody knows, you can find, uh, I think, pretty easily online, the documentary about the Queen's coronation hmm. in 1952. I think it was called A Queen is Crown. It's a brilliant bit of, of filmmaking. But beyond that, I'm going to make a bet and I could be wrong. Queen Elizabeth, when she was crowned, would not allow either the anointing 
or the communion to be televised. I would not be surprised at all if Charles receives communion and is anointed, and this is shown on camera. Yeah, you said this before, and it's so cool to think about because it's such a simple action that's on TV for one second, and yet what can come out of that is unbelievable. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like the king's speech. You know, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, uh, his Christmas speech. But just standing there by the birthplace of Christ, I mentioned that this is where, as the Bible tells us, this was the birthplace of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was a bigger statement <laughs> than a lot of sermons that came out about the same time. Yeah, he um, his speeches I've enjoyed a lot, uh, and it really helps me understand what you mean when you say the mon monarchism, monarchy is personal, you know? Um, oh, it's, it's very personal. I mean, his mother, for instance, and the Christmas speeches, her Christmas speeches, she did not really go a great deal into her belief in Christ until after her mother died. Hmm. Uh, and I suspect part of the reason for that was that it just wasn't the done thing. But after that, for the last 20 years, you know, more in some years, other less in others, but she's never failed to mention Christ. Uh, you know, now Prince Charles, um, of course, he's decidedly a mixed bag, or King Charles, I should say. Boy, old people. King Charles is decidedly a mixed bag in many ways. But, as I, having read so much of what he's written, in fact, if I could find it, there's a, um, he made a comment that, uh, he made a comment that was, a, he wrote a letter, I should say, that was quoted in a biography. Uh, the, um, He made a, a biography by a man named Jonathan Dimbleby. And he made, a, he made a comment there, and I think if you've been following what he did as Prince of Wales, I think it's extremely telling and perhaps will give us a little bit of insight into what he'll be like as king. Of course, as king, he has a lot less freedom than he did as Prince of Wales. Uh, that's an irony, of course, but you have to understand how their constitution works. At any rate, this is what he said. This is uh, January 21st, 1993. He wrote this to Tom Shabir, the director of the Prince's Trust. Quote, for the past 15 years, I've been entirely motivated by a desperate desire to put the great back into Great Britain. Everything I've tried to do, all the projects, speeches, schemes, etc., have been with this end in mind. And none of it has worked, as you can see too obviously. In order to put the great back, I've always felt it was vital to bring people together. And I began to realize that the one advantage my position has over anyone else's is that I can act as a catalyst to help produce a better and more balanced response to various problems. I have no political agenda, only a desire to see people achieve their potential, to be decently housed in a decent, civilized environment, 
that respects the cultural and vernacular character of the nation. To see this country's real talents, especially inventiveness and engineering skills, put to best use in the best interests of the country and the world. At present, they are being disgracefully wasted through lack of coordination and strategic thinking. To retain and value the infrastructure and cultural integrity of rural communities where they still exist because of the vital role they play in the very framework of the nation and the care and management of the countryside. To value and nurture the highest standards of military integrity and professionalism as displayed by our armed forces because of the role they play as an insurance scheme in case of disaster and to value and retain our uniquely special broadcasting standards, which are renowned throughout the world. The final point is that I want to roll back some of the more ludicrous frontiers of the 60s in terms of education, architecture, art, music, and literature, not to mention agriculture. Having read this through, no wonder they want to destroy me or get rid of me. Well... Whatever else you think of him or say about him, that is the writing of a very serious-minded man. And you compare that with the maunderings of Prince Harry. And it's like, you know, really? Really? My, my happiness as a child was sacrificed by my father for his duty. You, you know, you, you mentioned that... Um... Given America's nature, America's character, that it's easy to set them off against the royal family. Oh, yeah. And I think that's true. But nevertheless, and I've heard this from a lot of people, that they nevertheless look at the royal family and expect more yes, than the normal it's very, person. It's very true. Uh, you know, can you expect more from Hunter Biden than Prince Harry? Exactly. And the truth of the matter is, is that people do expect more out of Prince Harry than they do Hunter Biden. Yes. Which is good because they're not going to get much out of Hunter Biden. Right. Not that being a drug addict and a crook is a bad thing. But, uh, no, I... I uh, and, you know, the sad thing is, I, I, even with all of his stupidity, I think Prince Harry is, probably is a better, a better uh, individual than Hunter Biden. Um, but seriously, I, I, this has been a very strange, difficult time. You know, we lost Pope Benedict. We lost the Queen. We lost Cardinal Pell. We lost uh, King Constantine of, uh, of Greece. The grown-ups are all going off to the gray havens and leaving us here in Middle Earth. Hmm. The pre-boomers. There aren't many of them left. But the good news, and there's always good news, is that to the younger folk, the, the best of everything that was left behind is still accessible. You know, one of the things, I've said this before, I think, but one of the things that impressed me, I looked at a lot of um, videos of the various accession uh, proclamations throughout Britain and the Commonwealth, which all have this wonderful rolling language. You know, inasmuch it has pleased Almighty God to call to his mercy, blah, 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 blah. 
and uh, we are our uh, only rightful Prince Charles, Arthur, Edward George, whatever his name is, I forget, uh, as King Charles III, our sovereign lord, and so on. So it all sounds very impressive. And you would think that the politicos uttering these words or else witnessing them were believing Christians and, and uh, loyal kingsmen. And, you know, at least half of them are, are atheists and Republicans. But they had to go along with the deal. They had to pretend. And I presume that that pretense will continue to the coronation. It'll be interesting to see also what kind of representation comes from the realm governments, from Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and so on. And, you know, again, the death of King Constantine uh, last week reminded me of just how awful the political classes really are. Greece is almost a grotesque example of a decent monarch surrounded by scum. It, it, uh, I'm reminded of a poem by uh, Robert Browning, one of his three cavalier songs. It starts out, if I remember correctly, Kentish Sir Bing stood for his king, bidding the crop-headed parliament swing, and raising a troop unable to stoop, and watch the rogues flourish and honest folk droop. That, um, but of course, ladies and gentlemen, this is an issue that's been with us since 1642, religiously since 1518, and of course, socially and culturally since 1968. So I've got a question for you. Yes. What is it? What is it if it's Monday? It's off the menu. And the soul you save? May be your own. God bless you all, ladies and gentlemen. We shall see you next week. And remember, King Lee Day allows you to celebrate every element of American history you want to. Take care, everyone.